0: You're either you're either on the
1: bus or you're off the bus. Hello and welcome aboard episode seven of Ride the Bus, the official I Am a Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota is on the way. Ben Gislison, Joey Goldstein, looking forward to episode seven in a big way. Uh, if you read the introduction, if you read the title, obviously realize it's a big guest. We we promoted a bit last week. Uh, you tweeted about it a little bit too. We tried to maybe yep. lead the horse. Didn't to water pick up a the steam bit.
2: that we thought it was going to. <laughs> I thought it was really uh, clever, and it yes, you know, so they don't always land. That one did not land.
1: We did right. land Bill Guerin, though, yeah. a general manager of the Minnesota Wild and a four-time Stanley Cup champion, whether it be as a player or as an executive. Obviously, earnestly and vigorously working for that fifth cup now is Bill. But uh, a great, great chat with Bill. We're going to get there quickly. We don't have a lot of tenure tidbits to get to. We don't have a ton to talk about. But let's not just completely run ourselves over here. Let's let's catch up a little bit on the week that was. And as we get ready for Bill Guerin, what, what, what's on your mind?
2: Uh it's just, it's it's a busy time right now. It's a busy time right now. You know, we talked about the schedule being out. And with that, it's kind of pedal to the floor and you're full speed ahead looking into the season. So, uh, working digi- diligently on this promo schedule that we're hoping and to be digitally. able to. And digitally. You were digitally. about to say digitally. Digitally yep. and yep. diligently. Yep. Yes. Working hard to get a, a fun promo schedule built out. A lot of fun theme nights and giveaways and things like that. We got a few fun ideas in the works hoping to be able to release that and unveil that in the next couple of weeks here and hopefully be able to talk about it a little bit more in depth as we get going but uh you know we know a couple of things for sure obviously opening night we know our school day games going to be back uh pink in the rink will have back you know all the the staples that everybody's used to and hopefully a couple of new ones that get people excited so stay tuned for that that's kind of been the really the the thing that's taking up a lot of my time lately can you drop schedule.
1: us any breadcrumbs of anything new? I Ooh. know you don't wanna sell the farm here, but can you can you lead us down a breadcrumb trail towards <clears throat> kinda like you were trying to do on that tweet that you did without yeah. telling us too much, but telling us a little bit about what we could be excited about because People may or may not know I'm as much in the dark on some of these things as as some of our fans are. So I I'd, yeah. I'd be curious. To Everybody's know. in the dark.
2: Yeah. Honestly, nobody really on our on our staff has any clue kind of what's being planned. I'm kind of trying it's to veiled keep it in secrecy. Try to keep it a bit of a surprise as long as I can. Um I'm trying to think like what I can tease for certain. I can tell you some of the things that we might be trying to work on involve some uh you know, eating food in large quantities. Okay. Um,
1: not quite breadcrumbs. That that's no. that's full slices of bread. Yeah, yeah basically, that's full basically, slices basically. of if, something. If we're really playing on the analogy game, there. Um,
2: we might you know. We might we might throw some cute cuddly things onto the ice potentially at some point during the year. That's
1: a big breadcrumb. Um, that's going to really gain some speculation.
2: <laughs> we might. Uh, and we might do something special for all the, you know, the our kids club members and some kids. Do some fun things with them. Um, what else? The giveaway side of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of practical items, um, things that have more everyday use. Obviously, you know, bobbleheads are are a thing. Can't really unveil who those are, but I think people are going to be really happy about mm-hmm. those for sure once those some creative uh, get, looks to the bobbleheads yeah, too, I think, right? Yeah, I think I think one's a, a pretty standard, you know, player mm-hmm. player image, the other one's a little bit more creative. Um I think if you if you paid attention last year during the season and it's a it's a pretty distinct look this bobblehead that we're going with, so um it's it's different. This person's not going to be in a uniform. Uh, but it's a I guess it's a uniform in its own right. Mm-hmm. It's just not a hockey uniform. Yeah. So. All right. Um, that was good. I yeah, appreciate. Hopefully that helps thing. a little bit. I, I had probably to look some, the curtain. some bigger crumbs, some smaller crumbs. I don't know. Use your imagination. Nothing is nothing is finalized yet. These are us all hopes and plans. Um, so we'll see what what comes to fruition here over the next week, week and a half, and
1: we'll roll it out and let everybody know. From crumbs to tidbits, let's get to our 10-year tidbits presented by Explore Minnesota. From gorgeous city lakes to the pristine boundary waters, it's easy to see how Minnesotans have perfected the art of enjoying lake life. Rent a pontoon, grab a floaty, swim from the beach, or paddle for hours. When it comes to summer fun, you'll find it at ExploreMinnesota.com. We're going to get to Bill Guerin quickly, but we we do have news that came out yesterday. Matt Murphy, uh, defenseman signs a deal with with the Iowa Wild here, uh, a two-way deal. Big defenseman, uh, had a lot of experience throughout the American League last year. Also Mm -hmm. in the ECHL, he made his way around a bit in a few different uh, loan opportunities, a few different uh, PTO opportunities that he had in the American Hockey League. But we are starting to see this team taking shape here now. We're starting to be able to look at what a depth chart might look like a little bit with some of the names now, uh, and it just continues to look like more and more uh, of a different-looking team. We're seeing players that we weren't sure whether we'd see them again sign elsewhere no more Keaton Thompson he signs Mm -hmm. in Milwaukee we were talking this morning Bryce Gervais signs overseas so those were a few of the guys that were still left on the table that I think we're all wondering maybe we'll see him maybe we won't instead we're seeing Matt Murphy uh, another player listed another player coming in who's probably more of an ECHL pedigree player but still trying to make his way into the American Hockey League which uh, to me is exciting to me is is a player that has is hungry and wants to try to continue to prove that they belong at the next level, um, and I always like size in the back end too.
2: Yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about it before we started recording. It kind of reminds you of a, a, Bryce Gervais in a way, where he's maybe a little bit older than some of these other ECHL guys. Mm-hmm. But one thing that stood out to me when we were looking up, you know, some information about him was he's got a winning pedigree. He won in the Q. He won a Memorial Cup. He's won a Kelly Cup. He went to he went to university in canada won a use sports championship so the guy knows how to win and that's what mike and tim and bill are looking for yeah. with, with people in this organization they want guys who have that background so when it matters when games are you're, you're in those crucial moments you got guys who aren't phased by the moment and he's somebody who's certainly seems like he's not going to be phased by a big moment
1: and 27 years of age like you mentioned uh not just your typical spry AHL ECHL deal type player Gervais a great connection there a great analogy he's could very well be that type and I know uh, Bryce was a very important person in the room mm-hmm. in the role that he played uh and perhaps uh, Matt will be uh the next coming of that, and I'm sure there'll be other players that, that take those reins as well.
2: I saw Minnesota tweeted about it the other day, but the World Junior Tournament starts yes. up. Yes, oh thank uh, you for stopping me on that. I think that it starts up next week, next Tuesday? August the, 9th. The ninth, yeah, so next week. Um, a lot of prospects Tons. in the Wild organization playing in this tournament, and a good amount of guys that we may end up seeing here in Iowa. Uh, Jesper Wallstedt is playing for Sweden, Damon Hunt O'Rourke. These are all guys who are playing for Canada. Mm-hmm. There's you know, Brock Faber, Jack Peart are playing for USA. There's some guys playing for the Czech team. So yeah,
1: spot checks in Czech.
2: Yep. So there's a lot of a lot of wild prospects playing in this tournament, which usually is held in the winter. But because mm-hmm. of COVID, they this past year they couldn't have it, so they pushed it to uh, August. So it's always a really fun tournament to watch. I enjoy it from watching from start to finish. Those guys. I mean. We've talked a little bit about it with with some of our guests when they've come on who have had the opportunity to play in this tournament, and it's something that creates lifelong memories for them, lifelong friendships, but uh, it's always fun seeing guys compete on the world stage for your country. So I'm excited to see how those guys, just in general, how the tournament shakes out, but how our prospects do as well.
1: Meaningful hockey too in August, not something that we are all at all accustomed to right. normally seeing. And obviously for the players that were at the World Junior that got it postponed, or I think at the time it might have even been canceled. I forget what the official naming of what happened mm-hmm. was, but was obviously a letdown. I remember talking to Ryan O'Rourke about this letdown because he was at the World Junior that was supposed to happen this past winter and but for for us fans, uh, exciting to have something that we can watch that is meaningful um when it, we, I think we joked about it a few episodes ago where you're in the doldrums and all we could think of was home run derby. Mm. Um so that was uh you know that was definitely something to see do you, coming do up next
2: think nice. it, Obviously having it and usually in January it's the middle of their season, that's one thing. Do you think this is a is at a benefit to these young guys who they're playing in August, which in just a couple of weeks you're rolling into you know your rookie camps and your training camps mm-hmm. in September. Does this benefit them? You think to get some some true game action right off the bat? You think it gives them a leg up, maybe going into training camp in September as opposed to not having this tournament in August, typically?
1: I think from that viewpoint it does, but I would also look at it as this is an opportunity for so many of these players, they're going to be playing in front of every, especially having it being in, in August, they're mm-hmm. going to be playing in front of every set of important eyeballs you could play in front of, where it still is massively important in, in when it happens in January, but obviously teams are busier with other things going on. Not that scouting staffs aren't, mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd imagine you could potentially see more upper echelon general managers, front office executives that will go to this in August as opposed to in the middle of their respective seasons in the National Hockey League. And I would also say that January, those guys are in the best shape of the, of the season. Yeah, They're going to have to work a little bit harder to be in shape, to be in tip-top performance right. shape for an August series where they've it, they've been on the lake for, for mm-hmm. two months. Not that these guys obviously aren't training immensely hard, but
3: it's not the same as when not. you're in season. And you talk yeah, to yeah.
1: anybody about that and they'll all tell you the same thing. It's just, it's almost impossible to, to find that shape that you get to mm-hmm. when you're in January, because you've been practicing you know, just about close to daily yeah. for the in, for let's see October and November, December. I mean, that's almost four months you've been really going at it. You've been playing most weekends for, for those amateur players that are playing a pretty heavy weekend schedule. Mm-hmm. So, I think it kind of depends on how you look at it. There will be some benefits, I think, like you mentioned. They might come into training camp in better shape because they have been pressing as hard as they've been pressing to prepare for this tournament. But at the same time, will they all feel like this is their best? Uh, they their best. Of the best ability, they're at the best of the best shape. Maybe not.
2: If there's probably looking at the wild prospects, right? If there's one person who this is probably going to benefit the most, it's probably yes for step because this tournament's taking place in Canada, so you're playing on that. You're not playing on that large European surface that he's used to. You're already going to be playing Mm -hmm. on that smaller surface, which is for a goal we've talked about before. That's a big thing getting adjusted to that smaller surface. So any experience he can get playing on the the smaller sheet that we play on in North America is a benefit to him so maybe that comes in and helps him get a little bit more acclimated a little bit sooner than what he normally would have if he was just coming in for camp in September.
1: The man who drafted Jesper Volstead Bill Guerin. We're about to hear from him our fans are about to hear from him Uh, final thoughts on period one remembering that interview that was just so terrific what jumped out at you that you think our fans are really going to enjoy
2: and there's there's a couple A plus stories in this thing, which if you if you saw the teaser, um it's the 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 story of him at the airport, uh, hopping on the loudspeaker and pretending that he was on the phone with his mom in like a quiet airport, I think it was in Montreal, mm-hmm. is just what a story. I mean, the confidence to be able to do something like that is 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 unbelievable. Uh but I think you know, we we knew, we knew he was going to be a good storyteller coming in. Um, I think the, the biggest thing is the the takeaways from him on the, the general management side and kind of the adjustment and what has made him successful, people we took advice from, and kind of some advice that he has for people who ask similar questions, how to get involved in something like that, why scouting so important. Those are all things that kind of stood out for me listening to him.
1: As a whole, too, just really genuine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that And I've heard that from people who deal with him a lot more uh a lot more normally than we do, yep. <laughs> which is rarely to ever. Um, I've heard that, but he showed that, and he gave us just, just under an hour, I think he did, and and you brought up Wooster, and all of a sudden his ears perked up, and mm-hmm. he was asking you questions about Wooster. Uh, it was really raw when we were talking about him playing on, on, on Long Island and how it was tough there and how he struggled with that. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't. He didn't, you know, puff his chest up and say, oh, it was fine. And oh, all yeah. no, he was like, it was really hard. Yeah, he was honest yeah. and raw. And yeah, uh, that's and that's you like. just, you know, for a guy like that to give us that much time and to come on, um, it, it showcases, and we talk about it at the end of the podcast or the end of the interview with him, just how much he does value the American Hockey League and whether that's the players or uh, two simpleton Podcasters, yeah. I mean, He does value this place, and he values the people that work here uh, and that play here. So uh, I, I, I couldn't have had a better time with him, and I know our fans will think the same. So uh, without any further ado, it's time to hear from about as much of a boss as you can get the Minnesota yeah. Wild organization, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild, Bill Guerin. The bus is leaving the station, and we picked up a very special guest with us uh, here for episode number seven. We're joined by Bill Guerin, general manager of the Minnesota Wild, and also has a lot of cup rings to go along with that, too, as a player uh, and as a front office executive. Bill, uh, looking forward to this. We've been looking forward to it all week. Thanks so much for parking some time with us
0: here. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, my pleasure to be on, and uh, I've been looking forward to it.
1: Well, the question we start with every guest is... We want a good bus story, and I know as a fifth overall pick, someone who probably didn't spend a lot of time on the on the bus in the American League. Know you had a small stint with Utica, but a good bus story. When you think about, you know, it could be a good plane story of you know f- to help you yeah. out because you might have more oh, options. That, you might have more <laughs> options there than you do on the bus. But anything that jumps out that you can share with our listeners.
0: Honestly, like oh god, these are the toughest questions because you get put on the spot, and there's so many you just can't pinpoint one, but you know, it, like you said, I didn't, I don't pretend to have spent, you know, a, a ton of time in the American hockey league. Uh, I think I played 44 games, but the time I did spend there, um, was, was critical to my success in the NHL. Um, and I, I do remember arriving. Um, I do remember. So it's, it's kind of funny. Like you said, I was, I was a high pick. Um, when, when I turned pro, it was actually pretty funny because Lou Amarillo came, I was at home at my, my, my house in Wilbraham, Massachusetts. The closest airport was Bradley International Airport, which is Hartford. So Lula Amarillo flew in on Dr. McMullen's uh, plane who Dr. McMullen owned the Devils at the time. And uh, Lou had got a room at the, the Sheridan Hotel connected to uh, Bradley and I went I went there with my father, my best friend and my uncle, and I signed my first pro contract. And I I mean, I didn't even know people had private planes back then. I didn't even know you could do that. So Lou said, yeah, we're gonna use Dr. McMullen's plane to go back and I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like, hey, oh, hey, New Jersey, here I come. Yeah, well, he took, a, he took a hard left and went up to Utica, dropped me off, he said, good luck kid. Turned around and went back to New Jersey without me. <laughs> And then I uh, I kicked off my uh, my American Hockey League career, career the next morning, um, but I look back on those days uh, very fondly. Still very close with a lot of the guys that I played with, and I learned a lot. Um, and it was uh, you know it was something that that uh, hit me impacted me very very hard. And um, I, I believe in the American Hockey League and what it does for young players.
2: Talking about the American Hockey League, I mean how far have you seen development come since when you played to really where it is now, obviously it's second best league in the world. There's a vast more teams than, than what you were in the league when you were playing. So like, what are your thoughts on the direction that the league's headed, what it's doing for young players
0: and how it's helping grow the game around the country? Well, I I think that's really become the identity of the American hockey league is that it is a development league for the NHL. And I think more than ever now, um, you know, the league, the players, uh, have really wrapped their arms around that identity and, and responsibility. And there is no better place for, for kids to develop than the American hockey league. And it's just, it's come so far. Um, you know, I, I mean, with, uh, I mean, you see all the money that, 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 uh, NHL teams put into it, private owners put into it that's just how important it is. And, um, you know, as much of it as a development league, it is, it's always critical to have great veterans around your young players. And, and those guys can't be forgotten. They're, they're so important to, um, the culture of your team, uh, you know, how your young players come in and, and start learning right away about the pro life. It's just, those guys are, those guys are critical.
1: We're going to get to working, I'm sure, in tandem with Mike Murray about being the architect of an American Hockey League team here later on. We do want to stick on the player side here for a bit, Bill, and as you mentioned, didn't spend long in the American Hockey League before you were up with the Devils and making big waves with the Devils. Uh, Third season in the NHL, a Stanley Cup, uh, one of the four you've got up over your left shoulder there that you celebrate. Um, You had to wait 13 more seasons to do it again with Pittsburgh, and I'm curious, When you think about those two teams, could you give us three of maybe the main characteristics that those teams shared? Is there a Stanley Cup formula that you could help garner from those two experiences?
0: Uh, Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think the first one is that it was all about the team. It wasn't about uh, any individual success. Um, You know, second of all, the the sacrifice. Uh, that that players make during the playoffs and and to get to be Stanley cup champions is incredible. And, you know, I, I guess the third was, was the execution of it. And you had, you know, coaches that executed a game plan players that followed that out and the ability to do that in, you know, under extreme pressure. And, you know, those, you know, those two teams had, had definitely had those three things in common.
1: It's very evident, uh, you know, Bill, watching from afar down here, being a Minnesotan and seeing your iteration of GMing the Minnesota Wild, a large personality, extremely black and white, which is refreshing as a Minnesotan because we're not all that used to that. You've probably learned the passive aggressiveness that is being in Minnesota. It's very real. Uh, So to have someone like yourself come in, and be it's really been a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways. And I've heard a story that helps showcase that personality. It was your second year in New Jersey. You were in Montreal. Um, So oftentimes guys in their second years, they might stay to the walls a little more. They might not get in front of the team as much. You found an open concourse with an open PA uh, microphone waiting for a charter out of Montreal with the Devils. And I'd love for you to regale us on that story because I've heard it's a great one.
0: Where did you hear that? A good
1: is, a good journalist will never reveal his source. Wow, but I, I I have been told that you owe this man a lot of uh, thanks for some backdoor tap ins. Oh my
0: God! It was <laughs> yeah. We had played in Montreal, um, and we had to we had to go through the terminal to, to get to our charter plane. And I mean, of course, we won the game, and it was you know that's the only way you can do this. But I it was late at night, so most of the airport was basically closed, and I I picked up the the phone, uh, that was like the the PA PA announcing phone. And I, I did a, uh, uh, like a mock phone call back, back home to my mom. And, uh, you know, I was complaining about everything and, uh, making fun of guys and, you know, saying I was the best one on the team, but nobody understands that just (laughs) stupid stuff like that. I can't believe you found that out. That's great
1: you got good sources. I try try to. I was lucky that they got back to me when I reached out. Um, The New Jersey Devils, an organization that obviously built who you were as a player, what do you think maybe surprised you most about making the jump from 40-some games in the American League to the National Hockey League, and what do you think allowed you to jump in so quickly, not only to have success on the ice, but clearly if you're grabbing microphones and having fun like that at airports, off the
0: ice too within the room? Yeah, well, I, I, I do think my, my time in the American League was good because it, I was confident. Um, you know, it got to a point where um, I was playing real well. I was, uh, you know, producing a lot of points. I, I felt really good about myself. And I, I think, you know, I think Lou Lamarillo was ahead of his time in making, you know, most young players uh, go down and play there. Uh, the only guy that, that I can remember that didn't play in the American Hockey League was Scott Niedemeyer. And, you know, Scott, it was just, he was a special. You know, and, and he, he didn't need to, but I, I think the timing of it all, where they brought me up at the right time, on a high, feeling confident, where um, where I knew I could play, uh, was really important. And then um, taking you know honestly, just taking the opportunity that was that was in front of me, and um, you know I, I think a big uh, I think a big mistake that that kids make today. Are they pigeonhole themselves in a certain role? Well, I'm a top six forward, or I'm a middle six forward, or I'm a top line guy. You know, it's really hard to score your way into the National Hockey League, and you better be really, really good if you're going to do that. And you know, I saw an open spot. It was, uh, you know, at the start it was fourth line right wing. I had to provide energy and physical play, and um, you know, maybe get in the odd fight. And and that's what I did. I was an energy guy, and I did that in, for a year, and then moved up to the third line. I played there for five years. So it wasn't. I wasn't making it on my terms. I was making it with the opportunity that was in front of me. And I, I you got to bend a little bit. See, I'm not just black and white. I, I bend <laughs> a little bit.
1: After New Jersey. The, the travel bags get packed quite a bit for a few years. I know you've joked about this on some other podcasts. You've been on Edmonton, Boston, Dallas, St. Louis, New, New Jersey, or uh, St. Louis, and then San Jose, a few quick stops there, finally into Long Island. And I do want to talk about Long Island because we do have a connection there with Richard Shaky Krause as well, the, the equipment manager with uh, the Islanders while you were there. Um, but some of the names that you got to play with on the way there, names like Mike Madano, Joe Thornton, Sidney Crosby, when you finished in Pittsburgh come to mind. But I'm curious, Bill, there were a lot of other players. Players you played with too, aside from just those stars, anybody that comes to mind where you think they didn't get the praise, the aplomb that like Sidney Crosby or Mike Bonano gets, where you went, this guy is just a fantastic, fantastic hockey player that didn't receive as much attention as maybe some of these other other players you played with along the way did.
0: Oh my God, there's so many. There's so many. I mean, you know, Dougie, wait, you didn't mention Dougie Waite. He's a, he was my my favorite guy to play with, and Keith Kachuk, I was so lucky to have played with some amazing players along the way that, that, you know, you can never do it alone. And, um, you know, even, even the guys that you just learn from, like, you know, and they don't always have to be the superstars. I guess the one guy that, that um, really comes to mind that, that is, you know, his number is actually retired in Dallas, um, but just is Yuri Lettinen. And he's the guy that everybody wanted to play with. He could, you know, he, he could produce at a, at, a, at a good rate, but he never gave up his, like, defensive responsibilities. His wall play was great. He was blocking shots, always in great position. He was just kind of like that Swiss Army knife type guy. And, you know, he only played in Dallas. So I, I don't think a lot of the league really knew how good he was. Um, but that that's the guy that really comes to mind. He, he's a special player. Looking at all those stops along the way,
2: I mean, my biggest question is which – stop was your which city was your favorite to play in and
0: why was it boston <laughs> they were all great um you know like i tell everybody there there are good things and bad things about playing anywhere and you know no, no place is perfect and no place is all that bad and you really the one thing that I, that I'll, I'll i guess i'll give myself credit for and I'll, I'll especially give my my wife and kids credit for is that when we went someplace new we were all in. We were never in there and just kind of dipping the toe in. Um, you know, we—I'm sorting them out now. Like it, every kid's got home and away jerseys. They've got the hats. They've got the sweatshirts. They're, you know, all ready to go. It didn't matter. Like you're just—we're all in. You know, it, when we lived in St. Louis and the Cards won the the World Series, you know, we we're at the games. You know. Um, it's just, just things like that. You know, when we we're in Boston, we we're going to Red Sox games and Celtics games. And you just, you know, and you, you just, there, there's, you know, it was tough, but I have so many friends, so many great experiences that anywhere I go now, there's kind of like a connection. And even for my kids, like, you know, yeah, they had to experience new schools and new soccer teams, new hockey teams and this, which was really tough at that time, but now as, you know, adults, um, they can really handle themselves in any social situation. So it was hard at the time. And yeah, you never want to play in eight teams. That's a lot, you know, but there, there was kind of a silver lining to it. And going back into, you know, and when you
2: were in Boston, you spent some time with a young Joe Thornton there. we were able to reconnect with him a little bit later in his career. When you were in San Jose, this is a guy who everybody talks about. He's a, a character larger than life. Lots of Joe Thornton stories. Is there one that maybe comes to mind that you can share just to kind of, you know, personify the type of person that he is?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, he's just a, honestly, he's just a, a fun loving guy. Loves life. I mean, loved being at the rink every day. Um, you know, and I was with him when he was really young, so he didn't, he was just starting to click. Um, you know, when I left, uh, when I left for Dallas, I, I remember being on the ice. Uh, I think we were playing San Jose. We were playing San Jose. Yeah, exactly. We were playing San Jose. I forget who the player was, but came up to me and said, Hey, we, we just traded for your buddy in Boston. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we just traded for Joe Thornton. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why the hell would they do that? Like, it was crazy. The guys from San Jose were so mad they trashed locker room on the way out there. at This, but it was uh, um, no, I mean a lot of good memories with him and and I mean the the player that he turned into was, I mean he was incredible. Yeah,
2: yeah. We said, I mean I was in San Jose for a bit before coming to the Wild organization, and he's just somebody who everybody just admired from, you know, top to bottom. Didn't matter if you were working directly within the hockey ops side of the business or you were. You know, in the accounting side of the business, everybody loved Jumbo. He's the
0: best. Yeah, he is. He's a really good guy, and he just treats everybody the same. You know, that that's, I think, one of the things that gets that lost nowadays is, um, you know, just being humble and, and just treating people well, and that's what he always did.
1: When you were in Long Island, I alluded to it earlier, Richard Shaky Krause. We're talking to a great storyteller here in Bill Guerin. Richard Shaky Krause, that guy can tell a story yes, incredibly. Any stories that you, when you think about your time back in Long Island, uh, does shaky come up in any of those stories? Are there any you can share with us that we can give yeah. him some grief on later on down the road?
0: Yeah. I mean, of course there are, but I, mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but shaky and I go back to Utica. I did. not know that. Shaky was our, yeah, he was, uh, he was just getting started and he was one of our equipment guys in Utica. Um, so we go back to day one and then, you know, you know, 14 years later, 13 years later, we get, uh, you know, reunited in, in, in Long Island. And, uh, I mean, we just had a blast there. Like I, after game, you know, we weren't very good. So it was, it was kind of a struggle. Um, but after games, I'd always go back to the equipment room and He'd be sharpening skates. And I'd go grab a, a Bud light and a slice of slice of Umberto's pizza and just sit there and just kind of shoot the shit with hey, him to, to unwind a little bit. But Shaky's been a good friend for a long time. And I don't know how it started, but um Shaky started calling calling me Mr. Belvedere, uh <laughs> way back when. So, you know, I don't know, you guys are probably too young for the Mr. Belvedere show, but um, there's this little kid in it called Wesley. So anytime I see Shaky, he always says, How you doing, Mr. Belvedere? And I always say, I'm doing pretty good, Wesley. How are you? And like it, this has been this has been going on for 25 years now. I did oh, not know it was that yeah. long. That's you know, fantastic. That's oh, yeah, such we, a shaky
2: we, we, thing to come up with nicknames yeah. on the spot. I he's done one, it for yeah. me and yep, I don't know yep. where it came from. Yep. So I think yeah. we
1: both uh, mine was the greenhorn for my first year. He's a big fan of the Deadliest Catch show. So when I was a rookie, I was the greenhorn. He made me a stall yeah. tag, put that up <laughs> behind my desk. Yeah. yeah I've
2: be, become Joey Diamond and I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah. He's always got Shaky one. and
0: I Shaky and I have shared many uh, Bud Lights together over the years. He's a uh, he's a good man.
1: And a tremendous human being. Bill, I I wanted to also ask, you brought up some lean years in Long Island. I I think I was doing some homework on that, and I saw, I think your first year you were there, there were three players that played 30 or more games that had a plus-minus rating that was over even. I mean, obviously, it was a tough year. I, I did hear, though, hockey players find a way to make fun of whatever the situation is, right, and make light of it and enjoy it. There was a certain Island Girl song that became popular within the group, what can, yeah. you, what can you tell us about? What was that song and what was the usage yeah.
0: of it? Well, it was Elton John, uh, Island Girl. And, you know, you know how it goes. "Island girls. And, uh, and any time, I think it was Mike Sillinger that started. It was pretty funny. Anytime something would go wrong, like, you know, I mean, in the years like that, it seems everything goes wrong. All the guys would just just start saying Islanders, <laughs> and it was just it was a long year. It was you know it was totally rebuilding. Um, it was just it was a grind. I, I had a I had a hard time. It was uh, not the best, but we you know hey look, we always gotta if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at?
1: Did you learn anything about yourself as a player at that time, being a captain of a team like that? What did it teach you about Bill Guerin? What did it teach Bill Guerin
0: about Bill Guerin? To be quite honest with you, I
3: wasn't
0: built for, I wasn't built for the rebuild. I I just wasn't. I, 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 I was coming to the end of my career and, you know, I'm being totally honest. I I just, I had a really hard time with it. Um, And I, I, I just wanted to win, and I wasn't prepared for. Um, I, I I really enjoyed being the captain. I I, I it was a huge honor, um, but I I wanted to win again, and I, I just wasn't prepared for that that um, that ending to my career. I, I I wanted to I wanted to go out on a higher note than that.
1: Well, and the fairy tale ending certainly came. Uh, 2009, you get on that stacked Penguins team, were a huge part of it, um, you know, the years you spent there, that cup. I'm sure you've been asked it compared to the first one. Was it sweeter because there was the baggage behind it? There was the years in in, in Long Island. There was the moving around that you and your family had to do. I'm sure each had reasons why they were very, very special to you. but when you compare them, what stands out to you about 09 compared to uh, the earlier one in New Jersey?
0: Well that, that's exactly it. I mean uh, you know the, the one in 95 I was 24 years old, like I said third year in the league and you win. you're like, yeah, all right, we're gonna do this at, you know every year, every other year at the worst. Um, you know but then then it takes you you know 13, 14 years and you don't get a sniff. And, you know, I was on some pretty good teams too. Um, and it just, yeah, it was the first one we didn't, you know, Karen and I weren't even married. Now, you know, we were married. We had four kids. We had talked about it. we had, They had seen pictures, you know, they had heard us talking about it. And, yeah, it was – it kind of made everything worthwhile. And uh, that – just that trade to Pittsburgh itself just totally rejuvenated me. Um you know, and the cup was uh, was you know icing on top, and and it just yeah, I, I was so lucky to uh, to have gone there and experienced uh, experienced that, and and then you know Pittsburgh was so great for me, and they that organization and that city was unbelievable to me, and it was a great I think ten years I spent there, and uh, yeah, it was just it was awesome.
1: You have brought up your kids a few times. I know your son, Liam, played in the North American Hockey League. I'm a North American League alum, so I was proud to see him come out of that league. Now he's going to be playing in the Mayak with Hamlin, right under your nose there at Trier Rink. So that'll be a fun experience, I'm sure, to have you have him so close to home, especially considering he was in New Mexico uh, previously. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, I'm curious, what's Bill Guerin like as a hockey dad? Um, you know what, I
0: think I'm a pretty good hockey dad. Uh, I've gotten better over the years. Like when I, when I, um, when I pull back, I I wasn't a great uh, coach for my son. Like I, I coached him for two seasons and after the second season, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I, you know, our favorite time was in the car and we would, you know, crank classic rock and, you know, we we would every ride we would sing Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, start to finish, and that was you know kind of like our our goofy thing. And we, you know, we'd have the tunes going the whole time. We'd take road trips, and as I was coaching, you know what, I would have to try to push him. He'd get mad at me. I'd get mad at him. Our car rides turned to junk, and I I quit. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I just you know what? I'm going to sit in the stands and let him have his fun on the ice. And so I got better as time went on, and and you know. We've got a really good relationship, and uh, I'm, re- you know, he went to boarding school for three years too. So we really haven't had him around for five years. So to have him going for to to Hamlin, um, nobody's happier than my wife. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm right behind. You talk about sitting in the car listening to to
2: classic rock. Give us your your top five classic rock bands like of all time.
0: Gosh. Oh boy, classic rock bands of all time. Well, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. Um, I, I guess he would be considered classic rock now, okay. but yeah, I, yeah, I love Springsteen, uh, love the Beatles. Uh, oh my god, I was a big metal guy back in the 80s, so I love Motley Crue. Um, you know, I Led Zeppelin. Uh, oh my god, there's so many. Like, you guys stump me with these questions, there's so many. <laughs> um, it's a big songbook to pick from. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I Honestly, there's there's just so many. But I, I love music. I, I love, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a morning playlist that, that I play most mornings on my way into work. And it's got everything from, you know, uh, it's got Motley Crew, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Little River Band. Little LRB. Uh, I like yeah, it. Little LRB. Yeah, it's got, uh, yeah just everything. Yeah. Uh, Boston. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I, have got, yeah. Boston's another group. I love Boston. They're, they're awesome. Uh, yeah, that's like to start my day that way. A little country, Travis Tritt, um, you know, Brooks and Dunn, nice. music's, uh, music's a good way to start the day.
1: Yeah, it sure is. Bill, I want to talk a little GMing. I want to get you away from the playing side and more into the, the front office side now. Um, you're someone that talks at length about, and you talked about earlier with us, paying your dues in the process, and you're not somebody that jumped out of a fabulous NHL career directly into a GM chair. You paid your dues. You started as a development coach in Pittsburgh with the Penguins, worked your way into the assistant GM role, and then took over as general manager of Wilkes-Barre Scranton. What specific lessons do you think you pulled from that time and that you think you may be still employed today now that you do have control over the Minnesota Wild?
0: Well, I, I think the the work part of it, um, you know the, I, I always tell everybody kind of ask me for advice advice. Uh, like you know how'd you do it or what, what is it? I said, well, the foundation to this job to all these jobs is scouting. And you, you can't um, you can't have success without getting out there and kind of pounding the pavement and, and seeing the players. You need to know the players. Uh, you know Ray Shiro, who works with us in, in Minnesota now gave me the, well, I don't know if it was advice, or something that, that he, he, believed it, he believed in, and I believe in it, too, because uh, I went through it. He said, former players scare me because they want a paycheck, a title, and an office, and they don't want to work. And that was, like, one of the first things he said to me, so I said, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a different realm. So I had to go through, like, you know, I remember t- calling Tommy Fitzgerald. I was going to meet him out here in Minnesota to go scouting up in Duluth. I said, buddy, who's, who's making our flights?" he's like oh boy (laughs) he goes you are buddy i'm like oh crap so uh so you know just even stuff like that making your flights renting your car you know like not just a flight get a you know what you might have to make a connection because it's cheaper and you got to save money for the organization you know rent your car get your hotel you know figure out where you're going the hardest thing is trying to get into some of these ranks for god's sakes like you know, what backdoor to use and all these things. It's, it's, uh, you know, but I loved it and and it was a, a great job and player development is probably the most sought after job in, in, in hockey. And I, I think for a good reason because you have such a positive impact or a direct impact on, um, on young players and, and really helped them make it to the NHL.
1: I'm curious too if temperament was at all something that you've learned because I did hear early on in the player development side when, with Wilkes-Barre-Scranton there was a dust-up that involved uh, you being ejected from the game, from the bench. I, <laughs> I, I did hear this story. What, what, what can you tell us about what led to this incident?
0: Oh, man. Well, I was trying to help a player out. I was on the bench. So during player development, I, I would, a lot of times – well, John Hines was the head coach. Elaine Nazardine was the assistant coach. And I would go down and be on the bench for the third period in a lot of games. Uh, we were in Springfield, my hometown, and and uh, I was helping Zach Sill uh, with something because Zach was uh, a gritty, tough kid, and, and um, you know, he just wasn't really playing the role that that he needed to in order to make it. So I Brian Gibbons was in front of uh, – you know, the, the Springfield net and he was getting worked over. Like he was getting, you know, the crap beat out of him in front of the net and he turned around and gave the guy one whack and they called Brian Gibbons. So I told Siller, I was like, Siller, you know, this is, this is how you handled this situation and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Zach went out there and, 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 you know, he started talking to the guy that, that was working over Gibbons and, and, the ref came over and yelled at Jack Sill. So I started yelling at the ref, and he didn't take any grief from me. He just turned around and just said, You're out of here. And it put it, I think it put us down. So it put us down five on three. <laughs> and <laughs> one strike, though. Not, like, not, honestly, not, when I, when no I, I yeah, no warning. This, that is the tightest bench in the world. And I was at the far end. So I had to like squeeze past the other two coaches to get to the dressing room.
3: Just the squeeze of shame on
0: the way off. They weren't making any room for me, Uh, which is, and they were so mad at me. They didn't talk to me. And thank God we won the, we won the, uh, we won the game in a Mm -hmm. shootout. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a bad night.
1: If you haven't asked or know the story, you should ask. Matt Hendricks had a similar experience. I think it was two seasons ago in Chicago, but it was with it was with the opposing bench. He, uh, there, this happened at it was a tripod Community Center. There was a a definite heated exchange between Matt Hendricks, again player development coach, uh, on the bench during the third period of an Iowa Wild game. So it, there is obviously a precedent for this in the development coach side, <laughs> obviously for players too. That. I've just come very nearly out of careers. The The fire is still burning very bright at that point too,
0: I'm sure. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the thing. That's the balance that you have to really, you got to be careful with it because you know, you're, you're fresh off the ice, you know, you still have, there are, there are, um, there are unresolved issues that you have in your, you know, in your DNA that, that, your, your competitiveness, your fire, all that stuff. It's not, you can't just suppress that right away. I think that's why a lot of guys struggle. Like it just doesn't stop. So I think when, when you get thrown into the fire and there's a a confrontation, yeah, you want your, your, your natural instinct is to be right in the middle of it. And, um, yeah, I can see how that, that would happen to Andy. I mean, that, that's his, that's what he did naturally. So, um, it's hard i'll I'll tell you like retirement is retirement is is very very hard and that's why i tell guys don't don't take time off get into something you know whether it be hockey or or something else because you you need a you need an outlet there's no you know you can't just go out and throw a big hit or get in a fight anymore you you get put in jail like (laughs) you can't you know you don't get five minutes anymore so you got to find another release. You got to find another, uh, avenue for all that, that energy and, and, you know, uh, that testosterone.
1: Speaking of guys with fire and vigor, Cody McLeod fits that role very, very well. He comes on as a development coach for you guys in Minnesota. Why was that such a lead pipe cinch move? Cause it seemed to happen very quickly. He was done all of a sudden he had the logo back on, but on the development coach side.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a perfect fit. I think it's just, you know, Cody's going to be great. Um, you know you know, he, he's kind of been doing it for the last couple of years. You know how I said those those uh, those older guys in the American League are critical to to the culture. And he's been really driving the culture for us down there. Um I think because of his relationship with with Handy and Bomber, um, it's a natural fit. And I think, you know, his his um Just his his care factor, his demeanor, all those things are going to make him, you know, very successful at that. And and he's willing to work. You know, he can't wait to get going.
2: A lot of the guys that you know, some guys that you play with in your career, Don Sweeney, Mike Greer, most recently in San Jose, and now we're talking about Cody McLeod. A lot of these former players go on to these management roles. What what is it that about former players that makes them so successful or you see so many of these guys jumping into these management positions,
0: you know, fresh out of their careers. I think they're competitive. Um, you know, I think that that's the one thing guys are, are wired to work, uh, be competitive and they're smart. You know, it, you don't have to have, you know, an MBA or a, or a law degree to to be successful, you know, and, you know, Sweeney's happened to go to Harvard, uh, but, you know, you know, I never graduated from college and, you know, that goes for a lot of the guys sitting in the same chair or, or uh, I I went, but I didn't finish. Um, You know, it just, it, the guys are smart and and they want to work and they want to be competitive and they want to compete in the way that they can now for a Stanley cup.
2: I do want to quickly. You brought up college. You did play college hockey. You went to Boston College. I grew up on yeah. BC hockey. I'm I'm from Worcester, so like my dad went to BC. That's a a big thing. But we always remember growing up the Bean Pot. Bean Pot was a, is a huge deal for us to go to growing up. Now, someone who got to play in two of them. What was it like for you as a player playing in that tournament? Cause that's a big deal in in the city.
0: Oh, it was awesome! It's the best college tournament in in the country. I mean it. It was a packed Boston Garden, which, you know, back then I mean that was you know, in the old garden, it was incredible. So, I mean, it was, unfortunately I didn't win one, but it, the experience was, was unbelievable. Um, I didn't know you're from Worcester. Yeah. Yeah. Worcester. Worcester. That's ben, I was born.
2: ben, Ben sometimes struggles to say it, but I think a what? lot of people Worcester? do who Worcester? aren't from. I Worcester. Got that. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. My dad grew up in Worcester. So my grandparents, I grew up going to Worcester all my life. And my sister went to Holy Cross and I grew up going to Holy Cross football games and stuff. It's a,
2: it's a great town yeah I, it's hometown hard not to love it so i enjoy it
1: yeah you were back not too recently weren't you
2: yep back for the uh i go back every year on the fourth of july we have you know big get together at our house so we actually had a hot dog eating contest this year which was interesting <laughs> to say the least uh, how many but, how many oh i only put down like four and a half it's not easy like no we had, we had 10 minutes i think i put down four and a half but the, the the kid who won i think he ate like 10 or 11 which was Oh impressive uh, he puked not too far after the <laughs> contest ended so yeah
1: bill you've been super gracious with your time i got a couple more questions before i wanted to get to the, the first one i wrote down when i knew we were going to have a chance to talk with you I, I think about the story that came out this year about steve eiserman with the red wings having to drive joe valeno to toronto obviously strange times but nonetheless you, you i'm sure you were dreaming about being a gm when you're working through pittsburgh you're working your way up there you get into the chair and anytime someone dreams of a job, you get there and there's all the greatness that comes with it, but there's also the non-glamorous side to it too. Is there one experience that you've had or one item you've had to take care of that you went, I can't believe as the GM of the Minnesota wild, I'm having to do something like this as a GM in the national hockey league.
0: Oh man. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's stuff all the time. Like you, you know, you got to pick guys up at the airport. If you have to, you have to, you you have to do the things that you expect everybody else to do. So, you know, if something falls through, it it's it's on you to get it done. Um, you know, thank God I have tremendous help uh, on a on a daily basis. So, um, you know, a lot of you know a lot of my bases are covered. But um, no, I mean I, every day it's not it's not as glamorous as you would think, um, because everything you're responsible for everything. So if something goes wrong, you know, it it, that's on you, uh, you know, somebody might have missed her cue or whatever, but it still comes, comes back to you. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's it's a job where you're always putting out fires, you know, you're, you're, there's some great things about it. I mean, there's some amazing things about it. I I think I have the best job in, in the world. Uh, but there's always something, you know, uh, Would you say, so
2: what are, you know, being an NHL GM, it sounds like with a lot of fires to put out, that could be the most difficult part of the job. If not, what would you say the most difficult part of the job? And then what do you think is the
0: easiest part of the job? Well, there's, you know, look, the easiest part of the job is, is I would, I would guess the hockey part, you know, like that's, that's the fun part. That's, you know, where you're trying to, Put the team together. You're working with the staff to, you know, get to get ready for the draft or, or get ready for free agency or, you know, get ready for the season. Like the hockey part is the easy part. That's that's the fun part. The The part that stinks, uh, trading players, trading players that you know are happy. Uh, then even worse than that is firing people, uh, good people that, that rely on the job but you know you need to make a move. And then the other part that stinks is, is uh, people looking for jobs and you can't help them because you already have a full staff and you know they're, you know they're good at what they do. You know that, um, you know, they're, they're just honestly looking for, for work and, and, and you have to turn them away.
1: Speaking of trading players and making moves, if you'd allow me to speculate for a second, Bill, the one thing that I've noticed in three seasons going in four now with you in the GM chair, you seem to fiercely – protect culture in the room you will do what it takes to protect that culture in the room no matter what waves might come out uh, of a move that you might make because that to me seems like something that it's a non-negotiable for you is that true
0: yeah that's true it is and um, you know what I, I think the the players and the coaches um, every, everybody the fans the trainers the owner everybody deserves that and We've worked really hard to restore a good culture in Minnesota. And, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let that, that, uh, fade away. The players have worked too hard at it. Coaches have worked too hard at it. We all have, and it's a, it's a very delicate thing. So once you take your finger off, uh, you know, the pulse of that, you're, 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 you're looking for trouble. It can, it can get away from you very quickly. So, um. You're either you're either on the bus or you're off
2: the bus. That's right. My my last one here. So we've had a, a couple of, of two way signings. Obviously here in Iowa we know a bit about Brandon Baddock. He spent some time here. But for Wild fans in general, whether it's Iowa or Minnesota, these these Nick Patans, Andre Schuster, Stephen Fogarty, what can Wild fans expect from these guys? What are you guys on the operation side looking for out of those three?
0: Well, listen, those those guys are experienced players. Um, you know, uh, you know I've, I've watched Nick Batan play since his junior days back in Portland. So I think a lot of him, uh, He he's a, he's, he's a guy that can produce at, at both levels. Um, you know, Fogarty I'm not as familiar with, but I hear a lot of great things about him, uh, you know, through our scouting staff, through Mike Murray. Um, I know he's a solid two-way guy that, that's really going to provide some, uh, you know, some great two-way play and some leadership. And, and uh, he's a good depth guy that can play NHL games for us. No problem. Uh, You know, and Andre Schuster is a guy that I tried to sign him in Pittsburgh when he was a free agent coming out of uh, UNO. So I go back uh, a long way with him. Um, And he's played, uh, you know, hundreds of NHL games. He's got great experience that way. He knows his role right now and he's willing to play it. So very excited about those guys. Very excited about the team that Mike Murray's put together. Um, You know, he's put a lot of hard work into it and, uh, it, it'll be real exciting to see what Tim Army can do with these guys.
1: Let's finish with that. Mike Murray, why is he the man for the job? Uh, we've got to see it firsthand, mm-hmm. but from your perch, why is Mike Murray the guy that when obviously the opportunity was open w- with the passing of Tom Curvers, why was Mike Murray the guy that you came in and tabbed and said he's the architect of the Iowa Wild?
0: Well, I, I think Mike's, um, Mike's knowledge of the league, uh, you know, first of all, just coming from the American Hockey League to doing this is you know, his feel for the game. Uh, Mike's an incredibly organized guy. Uh, he, he leaves no stone unturned when, when, uh, when, you know, analyzing players or talking to the scouts, talking to the development guys. He's a very, very detailed guy. Very impressive uh, in that way. And I just know it, it's nice to be in my position and not have to worry about how the American team is being run. And Mike has just done a fantastic job of, uh, of you know, filling some pretty big shoes uh, that that TK left.
1: No, oh, Bill, this has been fantastic. And the one thing we talk about a lot down here is. We do not feel like the little sibling down in Iowa. That's from my perch, from your mm-hmm. perch. Everybody you talk to, we're talking with our counterparts all the time in Minnesota. It really is one organization. I mean, we really feel that. I know that comes down from you and the rest of the heads up there. And this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for stopping on and hopping on the bus this year for just under an hour. Yeah, thank a lot you. of time, I know, and a very busy day for you. So, really, thanks a million, Bill. This has been a real treat. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me
0: on. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's how it should be. We're all in it together. We're all part of the wild, and uh, you know what, what? What you guys do in Iowa is is critical to the success of the Minnesota Wild. And hey, we're 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 all on the same team, right? So, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it.
1: A big thanks to Bill Guerin. Just a tremendous chat. A tremendous guy, uh, and has. Done so much already in a very short tenure with the Minnesota Wild that heard it at the beginning of the podcast. He's really brought a breath of fresh air um, to Minnesota as someone who I think you would bring a breath of fresh air to Minnesota because you and Bill both have that very East Coast Boston style of. Talking with people, mm-hmm. I brought it up in the interview. Minnesota's a little more, yeah, 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 and they kind of go behind, yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> go behind your back, and <laughs> and that passive aggressiveness. But I just the, the genuine nature that he brings to everything he does is is just so it's it's terrific. And yeah. So a huge thanks to Bill and also uh, to Aaron Sickman, uh, the PR director for the Minnesota Wild, for getting that lined up for us too.
2: Yeah, he's I mean he's a no BS kind of guy. He's mm-hmm. very straightforward, and we talked about him and and having that sp- a specific culture that he's looking for. This is a guy who's one... As a player, as an exec, he knows what it takes. He knows what that buildup needs to be in the locker room, and that's what he's looking for. And you brought it up with him. He's going to do what it takes to protect that. We've seen that. He's going to continue to do that. And I think that's that's like if there's a trait you want in your general manager, that's it a guy who's going to do whatever, it, whatever he can to protect the team and the integrity of what he's building. And I think he's doing just that.
1: I've taken a similar approach to protecting the culture in the locker room of Team No Yelling on the Bus, 2-0, through two weeks of floor hockey. Huge come-from-behind victory last week, and bringing this up now, not to bore our fans, but because it will play a factor in another one of our podcast bets that we're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, Joey and I are on uh, the same team. He was my first overall pick, or uh, second overall pick, but first-round pick uh, uh, in the draft. No,
2: no. I was 1 1. Were you 1 1? Oh, I made oh, sorry, a big deal. Sorry, sorry, I made sorry, a big sorry. deal about it when it happened. I was picked 1 That's 1. Right, I made sure one, one. to flaunt that in front of the rest Thus of the staff. Thus, No Yelling playing. on the
1: Bus uh, uh, moniker uh, fans that know this movie will, I hopefully, draw the connection to Billy Madison, uh, Chris Farley's iconic character, his mm-hmm. iconic uh, uh, cameo appearance in that movie. But so for this week's game, uh, the player between Joey or I that scores the most goals in the game will have to do a bet or have to uh, do a punishment that will be named by you, the fans. So we would like for you to, on this tweet or on this Facebook post uh, where the show comes out on, comment on it. And I mean, if you want to tag Joey or I on it on Twitter, that's fine. Uh, but comment on it, what you think our punishment should be. And for next week, we will select what Punishment we do feel fits the crime mm-hmm. of not scoring the most goals between the two of us, and then that will be the punishment for the following show.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good way to get people involved. We certainly aren't creative enough to come up with something on our own, so this is why we're asking for some help. But it'll be it'll be fun. I'm just gonna just gonna let it fly. Oh, I'm gonna score so many goals. I can't wait. I we got to keep this going where Ben continues to lose bets. So. Um, I gotta do everything I can to make sure. If that means I stand in front of a shot that Ben takes so I can knock it down and put it in myself, I might do that.
1: Jackie Moon asked. Yeah. Block a shot. Yeah. Just. Yeah. No corn dogs.
2: Nope. Just do it no corn dogs. No <laughs> corn dogs. Yeah. Just doing what I can to to make sure we win. It's important to win. Like we said, we're two and zero. We've only got four weeks of staff floor hockey, so if we win this week, I think that seals us as as the champions. But you know, we could lose. Marquise is on the other team. He's Thinking strategy right now. He's, you know, tr- turn your mic up. he oh. wants Marquise has a comment. All right. Okay. What are we thinking right. from the opposing um, perspective?
3: So, my only my only thing here is the the team is called Riding the bu- or the the, the the Don't Cry on the Bus. It's not clearly. Our team. No yelling. Whatever. No yelling on the bus. Get it right. Not our team. Okay. Right. No yelling mm-hmm. on the bus. Clearly named after. You know, what I'm saying the podcast here. I am a little bit disappointed that I was not picked in the first of the expansive draft by by Ben here. That's valid. I'm gonna pass I, this one over to Ben. I, I, I think you know what I'm saying we were trying to keep the chemistry together. I think I think that might have thrown a wrench in some things here. So uh, so just know that behind the camera is a little bit uh, a little bit disappointed in you playing in with GM. the chip on.
2: He's playing with a chip <laughs> on his <the> shoulder <laughs> for the team.
3: I can say that there were there were workings of a potential
1: trade deal, and you can vouch for this. There that were. did have Marquise's name linked in it. They fell through. So unfortunately. I'll I'll tell you. I'll,
2: yeah. I'll be. Let me, let me take off my no yelling on the bus gear. Let me put on my commissioner's hat. That's true. Uh, as a league insider, there were talks about a potential trade of uh, Brent Arnold being traded for Marquise. As Ben loved to say, you can't teach size, and Marquise has size. We needed that. And then we went to play the game, and we saw the hustle out of Brent and that was just not that Marquise doesn't have the hustle, but Brent was like throwing his body around, throwing elbows. He sent someone over the board. Yeah, he did who within wasn't? the first like thirty seconds of the game. It <laughs> was, was it Gordon. Yeah, was it Gordon that he pushed Captain over. Captain of the <laughs> other team. It was wild. So Ben was Ben's a little hesitant to to give that up. I think he he values that. Now that doesn't mean that more trades cannot happen. Mm-hmm. I think there are some some trades that need to be worked out. The other team's got to hold out yeah so it's we got some some things maybe in the works i wouldn't Marquise. i wouldn't rule it out but you know for now what it, what you hear here as we talk strategy don't don't take that back to the other team To Th- captain need that. gordon yeah we don't need that
1: pierre lebrun was tweeting about potential trade rumors in our league mm-hmm. so that that's that's what that's what we know so far it's got people on edge yeah we've got our, our
2: weekly wrap-ups our weekly recaps and that's you know, only a couple of weeks left.
3: That's true. To make
2: or break time.
3: That's true. Yeah, I think for me to be able to net one in my first ever time holding a hockey stick in competitive action, I'm I was pretty proud of myself. That's also
2: <laughs> another. I've mean, got to keep that in mind too. Marquise <laughs> is not a hockey player by nature, so these things all factor in into <laughs> trades and why people, why teams make decisions, why captains, GMs make decisions of their team.
1: I, ca- I can't, I can't not stand by my team right now at a two and zero. Oh. At two and zero through two weeks, even the last week got really hairy towards the end. Yeah, well, I
2: mean, we came back. We were down at one point six two. I think we were down ten six. Like we we raised a couple big time deficits mm-hmm. to get that win. I mean, as you'll see in uh, you know one of our our I guess our next interview, we were we were sweating yeah, like grease monkeys. that's True.
1: Yeah, it was it was we had we were lathered up for yep. our our upcoming guest podcast interview which, which we're I gonna should, tease we are gonna tease. We tell you every week we're <laughs> only, not gonna only tease because it. it's already recorded <laughs> we know
2: it we've got it it's secured
1: and you and you can go ahead because i know it came up in both interviews being a boston guy and bill Guerin, being a boston guy in matt boldy yeah so go ahead and, and talk because i know especially with with, with bolds you really we really got into the nitty-gritty of boston with them yeah
2: and this you like to to kind of give me some grief for that but I also like to give you grief for talking about Dakota Mermis and his short fuse. So Love it's like, it. I'll bring it up again. Can't wait to see it this year. That's your, that's your thing. And, and talking Boston's my thing. I think for me, the reason I like doing it so much is just because I, Hey, I'm not there and it's, it's home, right? It holds a special place in your heart. So be any, any anytime you can talk about that stuff. With anybody, It's like, if I get a chance to talk about UMass with Mitchell Chafee, like if you get the chance, take advantage and talk about it. Uh, Bolts was great. It was awesome chatting with him really talking about his golf game that was the thing mm-hmm. that struck me the most is he's an incredible golfer and i like truly incredible He saw what is his best score this year is a 65 i think his best score all time is a 62 if i come anywhere close to like 87 i'm thrilled for myself yeah so i'll like, never get anywhere near those numbers. no it's insane oh. and i'm sure he's not a guy who goes and he plays every single day like to be able to 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 golf at that level you you probably have to play close to every day or just be naturally gifted Mm -hmm. He seems like he's just good at everything he does yeah except for of of basketball
1: that's true he did say basketball so yeah look forward to that interview and that episode um matt was great as we knew he would be and that'll be coming out next week for episode eight and we're looking forward to episode nine episode ten episode i mean we're rolling along. We're, we're, we're cl- going to
2: keep we're clicking this bus moving. Here. This is like great. Bill, yep. Like Bill Garen said, you're either on the bus or you're off, and we hope everybody's on.
1: Uh, it's a great call. And as fans probably noted at the beginning of the of the podcast with the new intro, we removed the the honks in the bus and replaced it with that line. That's a great way to end it. Um, his face after he said that because he he knew what he did yeah he, you know he's and it was after he was he was talking very seriously about protecting the culture and then he comes up with that line he kind of looks at us and I looked at you yeah I thought we that, knew right, yeah we, we knew thought right that
2: away. was going to be the end but yeah. we also had like a couple more questions yeah. we had to squeak out of them, but you're either on the
1: bus or you're not. yeah oh, that was so a great,
2: great that was a it's a great line I don't. It was perfect. It's
1: perfect. It was perfect. If
2: only we couldn't have botched the moment, but it was good. <laughs> uh, typical.
1: Uh, typical for sure. But uh, that's it for us, Episode 7. Uh, a big thanks to Jeremy Corr and Executive Podcast Solutions, for making this listenership possible. Also to Marquise Jones for putting this all together. Uh, to Aaron Sickman for setting up the interview with uh, Bill Guerin and, of course, to Bill for his time. And to you, Joey Goldstein, any final thoughts?
2: Like, subscribe, review, give us five stars, share it, do all that fun stuff make sure we get uh you know we're trying to get build this up have it be something big have it be something awesome we can't do that without you guys support so keep that up and uh, we'll see you next
1: week I've gotten a few good reviews since you've been starting to pump this at the end so uh, thanks to, for those of you who do review who like who listen even you thought you I wrote it I did, th- yeah. I, you I thought I, I wrote I it. like I was like, who'd you pay to who'd you pay to write this?
2: No, people actually like hearing <laughs> us. So keep keep. You know what? If you're gonna leave a comment, talk about how great Ben's hair looks on a weekly no. basis. Just do that. Or, how or great, mine.
1: Or I was going to say how great Joe's hair looks on a week. Or basis. the shine that comes out yes. of my head, whatever you Especially want. Especially after the bull. Yeah, next week you'll really see the shine yeah. that comes yeah. out. Yeah, talk about the shine. Uh, big thanks to all of you for listening and for watching. Uh, this has been Episode 7 of Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota. As always, two honks for the win. Thanks for listening.